Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldrich. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich, and I'm here today with John Comerford, president of Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio, and Bill Groves, chancellor of Antioch University. Now, if Otterbein University's location in Westerville, Ohio seems familiar, it could be because it's been ranked as one of America's best suburbs, has appeared on Money Magazine's list of the top 100 best places to live, and for those who may remember the television show Glee... Westerville, Ohio is also the location of the Dalton Academy Warblers, the fictional competing choir to the main cast. Now, at Antioch University, well, Lauren Pope, who is the author of Colleges That Change Lives, said, quote, There is no university in the country that makes a more profound difference in a young person's life or that creates more effective adults than does Antioch College. Antioch is an institution that provides its students with a, a transformative education in a global context, that fosters innovation and inspires social action. Now, in fact, both institutions have strong reputations for advancing social, racial, and environmental justice, and earlier this year announced a groundbreaking partnership to form the nucleus of a new nationwide nonprofit university system comprised of institutions that are committed to advancing social justice, democracy, and the common good. John, Bill, thank you for coming onto the program, and welcome to The Higher Edge. Brendan, after that introduction, we're going to renew your membership in the Westerville Chamber of Commerce. You're in. That was great. (laughs) Well, thanks. Hey, guys, I know we're going to dive more deeply into your collaboration in a moment. But first, I'm hoping you'll share a little bit about your backgrounds with our audience. Uh, Bill, for example, how uh, how did you find your path leading you into becoming Antioch University's chancellor? Thanks, Brendan. It was all a very unplanned scenario. I graduated from Ohio State Law School and started to apply for jobs. One of them I was most interested in was a firm in Springfield, Ohio, that just happened to represent Antioch University and had done so since the 1920s. So um, that was the firm I joined in 1979. Uh, I remember one of my first client uh, engagements was on the college campus in 1979, first time I had ever heard of Antioch, and walked onto what was then the college campus here in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Um, And from there, I I spent the next 35 years practicing law, most of it higher education, education law, K through 12 as well. And Antioch was one of those clients uh, in the higher education sector. Fast forward, 2007, the board decided that the college was failing. The rest of the university was doing quite well, but the original college campus in Yellow Springs was failing. I spent the next three years of my life really uh, winding down the affairs of the college and drafting the documents that resulted in that campus being taken over by a new corporation uh, owned by alumni of the college. Thereafter, I was asked to come in-house I was leaving the firm after 30-some years of practice to start what was then the first Office of General Counsel for the university. Um, I will never forget the partners meeting where I made that announcement, and one of them asked, 
well, where do you see yourself in five years? And another partner who did a lot of Antioch's work as well and had been my mentor for many years said, he'll be chancellor in five years. Never contemplated that. Uh, laughed at it. And then five years later, I was chancellor. <laughs> so <laughs> I am this very non-traditional uh, higher education president. About 15% of higher education presidents are lawyers, uh, have their JD, not their PhD. Wow. But I remind people that the first president, Horace Mann, was a lawyer. Interesting. And then, uh, John, your path to becoming uh, president. Yeah, well, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. So there's something there. <laughs> And or, or maybe you stayed at a, a Holiday Inn Express. I did. I, well, you know, all of that goes together. <laughs> and so um, I guess I came up very from childhood in higher ed. Both of my parents were college professors. And so when my parents couldn't find a babysitter, they gave me a roll of quarters and set me loose in the student union. And there was a snack bar and a video game arcade and a bowling alley. And I had a blast. And so I very young age, just had the run of college campuses. I'm sure the rest of the world is very nice. I've never visited it. I've only been to college campuses. And so um, I went to college, majored in political science, thought I'd go to law school. But I had been active in everything. I was in student government. I was an RA. I did all the stuff. And someone sat me down and said, you know, John, you can get paid to do this for a living. And I said, shut up. That's amazing. I can get paid to go to college for the rest of my life. And so most of my career was in student affairs. I was in res life. I was a dean of students. I, I was Dean Warmer from Animal House. It was, it was the peak. That was, that was the goal. It was then that I had a president say, you know, you'd be a good president and move me over to advancement where I learned the fundraising and alumni world. And uh, then I became president of Blackburn College and now president of Otterbein. And here we are. Guys, I mentioned in the introduction that both institutions have a commitment to social justice and democracy. I was hoping you might be able to tell us more about that and how it shapes your approach to higher education. So Otterbein has this remarkable history, and it's funny, we compare Otterbein and Antioch, founded within a few years of each other and very parallel in a lot of ways. But here, first college founded in the country, co-ed, first to put women and men in the same classrooms in the same curriculum, first put women on the faculty, uh, first, we recruited students of color before the Civil War, Japanese Americans out of internment camps during World War II. I mean, not perfect history. There's lots of things in between there we didn't quite get quite right. But a genuine commitment to inclusivity and a genuine commitment to higher education being a vehicle for equity in our society. And if higher education becomes a vehicle only open to those who already have means, those who already have all the benefits of society, then I think American democracy fails. I I think our role as that gatekeeper is critically important. And what drives this partnership with Antioch is this is a way to serve more deserving students who otherwise have not been well served by American higher education. We've got to get that right. Fantastic. And Bill? The trajectory of Antioch and Otterbein are so similar. Antioch was founded by a church like Otterbein. There were several trustees who built three buildings in Yellow Springs, Ohio, the original historic buildings on this campus before there was ever an effort to do enrollment, before there was ever a president. And once those buildings were done, they had basically exhausted their resources. Um, Now they needed revenue. And they went out to find a president. And at that time, and we're talking about 1852, Horace Mann had just opened his first common schools 
uh, in Massachusetts. They were the precursor to the American public education system. They were the public education system of Massachusetts. And Horace Mann is regarded as the father of public education. Um, up until then, education was done by churches, reserved for the elite. But Horace Mann strongly believed that education was the cornerstone of democracy. Um, and he fought hard for an establishment of a public education system funded by the government, which at that time was as controversial as universal health care is today. Not just public education, but one which was diverse, co-educational, in which students of color and students of both genders were in the same classroom. That was unusual as well. And they set off to Boston to go talk to them. There was no internet. <laughs> there were no phones. So they got in their buggies and they literally stopped the man in Boston until they convinced him to come back to Yellow Springs to become the first president of Antioch University, Antioch College at that time. Uh, why he decided to jump from his efforts at public education. Of course, he was an ardent abolitionist and served in Congress at the same time that Abraham Lincoln was in Congress. At his last graduation speech, he remarked, and this has been kind of the motto of Antioch ever since, to the graduates and admonished them to be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. Which ties in to the announcement that you both made this last July, that your institutions had agreed to form the core of a new nationwide nonprofit university system committed to these ideals. Now, I, I kind of picture the two of you maybe hanging out in a local pub and talking it out, uh, the idea out over a couple of beers, but I'm sure that's probably not exactly how it happened. You know, we had been exploring the possibility of affiliation for several years. There had been a number of schools that had knocked on our door, and I think in a very kind of reactive way, we examined those opportunities. They were really business opportunities. They were schools that were failing for one reason or another, we kind of turned away from all of those opportunities and decided, well, if we're going to be successful with this effort, we ought to be more strategic about it, more proactive than reactive. And the board met in uh, October of 2019 and agreed that we would um, initiate a process with consultants to do really a survey of the entire higher education landscape and think about in a more strategic way, who do we want to affiliate with? and what would be the criteria for affiliation. In that meeting, the board and the faculty convened together in kind of a weekend-long retreat. And we knew there were models of this kind of affiliation out there in higher ed. They all seemed to be premised on a business model that bigger was better, but there didn't seem to be any undergirding mission alignment. So we agreed at that meeting that our affiliation needed to be on a strong foundation of social justice and democracy, that we wanted a affiliation, a system in which all the institutions were joined together in a common mission of educating not just for careers, but for social justice, racial justice, environmental justice, all of those social justice elements for the common good which we are all, you know, as nonprofits required to do, and for democracy. And by then, of course, 
we knew that we were at a very serious inflection point in this country around the issue of democracy. We sent out 60-some invitations to institutions to have a conversation, to sign an NDA, and that process uh, then culminated in 13 letters of interest from institutions, including Otterbein, a series of interviews, and it all ended up boiling down to one institution, and that was Otterbein University because of mission, because of the academic synergies of that institution and the financial strength of that institution. But our histories could not be more parallel. We could not be more excited about finding that partner who I think really expresses the kind of Antioch mission in the way that they do. Hey, for everyone listening, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just one minute. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading-edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real-life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission-impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. Thanks so much for listening to our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. Always kind of amazing. This kind of a nationwide or even global search sometimes to wind up finding your partner practically down the street. Practically down the street. We are like 54 miles apart. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did not know that Westerville was the center of a Glee episode or whatever, but uh, um, it is um, just near us, very close to us with Columbus, Ohio. And, and John, what was that like? I imagine it must be a little strange. They, I'm sure, couldn't share a lot of information in the initial email, so you're sort of receiving this message. That's right. And Bill's description is great because it's sort of like we won the dating show, right? We narrowed down. It's, and we finally we got the rose at the end, so it was very exciting. And i got to say, that initial outreach is you get an email from a consultant, and we've gotten several through the pandemic like this, and it's pretty vague. Uh, hey, there's, there's a school looking for partnership can't tell you anything until you sign an NDA. And I wonder how many institutions just ignored the email or went into junk or whatever it was and and missed out on opportunities as a result. We, especially in the last three years, have gotten a lot of phone calls from a lot of institutions. Some outreach from consultants, just some direct president to president. The, The pandemic has hit higher ed hard in a lot of respects. And there's a lot of schools out there looking for new business models, for new revenue streams, for for shared services and greater efficiencies. And all these things are sort of in the water right now. And so we had a a number of these conversations about different forms of partnership. And Antioch for us rose to the top of that list. We're still in some of these other conversations, right? There's some of those ideas are still percolating along. But we decided to start with Antioch because the idea here is we're such a good match because we have such common mission, but such different program, right? Antioch University is an adult education-focused organization with five campuses coast to coast, 
Otterbein is a primarily 18 to 22 year old residential traditional liberal arts campus. And so there's not a lot of overlap. And so when you look at market opportunities, ways to serve more students, if you can leverage those resources against each other, what Otterbein does at Antioch sites, what Antioch does at the Otterbein site, that opens up a lot of doors. And then what's most exciting to me is that rather than just a, a merger or whatever, where we end up with an Otterbein undergraduate school and an Antioch graduate school, you end up with a system here where there are lots of schools like Otterbein out there that are primarily your 18 to 22 year old traditional campus that wanna be in the adult market but are not well set up for it, that can join this, this group and uh, this system were created and create Antioch University as a real national institution, even more national than it is now, with all sorts of locations and all sorts of programs, leveraging these sites and programs that you can gather from institutions like Otterbein and scale in that area without giving up the small, intimate campus we have here in Westerville. And so it's a little like having your cake and eating it, too, and that's the reason this rose to the top of our list. Which is a great point that you make. Institutions of higher education are sometimes like a, a study in uniqueness. I mean, every institution has its own story, its culture, its uh, expertise that expresses itself in everything that they do. And you've talked about how it's a priority for uh, every institution in this new system to be supported and retain that uniqueness. Um, but when we talk about scale and some of the purposes, is, is that, does that become a challenge when it also comes to finding more consistency in the ways that you operate to capitalize on that scale, for example? So that's a great and insightful question. I will say, first of all, one of the great problems with American higher education right now is we're all trying to be all things to all people. And that means we're really bad at helping students find their match, right? Otterbein is fantastic, but we are not for everybody. Right? We don't have any program under the sun. We, if you don't want a residential experience, there are all sorts of great institutions out there for you, big publics, community colleges, trade schools, you name it. It's about finding the match for you as opposed to each institution feeling like it has to be all things to all people. And so this allows a school like Otterbein to focus on the traditional undergraduate that we're so great with but then be a part of this system where we do adult education at scale and graduate degree completion certification programs, things like that. And, and to your question about how do you align, the idea here is the undergraduate programs, the traditional undergrad programs remain distinct. There is no merger of curriculum here. We're separately accredited institutions. What an 18 to 22 year old is doing at Otterbein or any other small college that might be looking at joining up with this system, that doesn't really change. There's some new opportunities involved for them, but the fundamental of it doesn't change. We then importantly do all adult education together through Antioch. And so Otterbein's graduate programs will become Antioch programs. And we have to create a system where we're not competing with each other in that space. And so we can't have one school with their graduate nursing program and us with our graduate nursing program and we're all competing with each other. We have to align around adult education. So that's a premise of what we're building, a separate traditional undergrad with a unified adult education system. One of the factors that we were taking into consideration in our search and our efforts to find an affiliate partner was synergy. We didn't want another uh, institution just like Antioch. That would not have been accretive. We used to have an undergraduate, you know, traditional undergraduate campus, the original Antioch College. Um, but Antioch today is exclusively an adult learning institution. Our average student is 35, has two kids, and is a soccer mom. 75% of them are women. 
which is not unusual in graduate programs. Um, in addition to mission, I think we both saw that the synergies between our two institutions, this traditional undergraduate campus and this adult facing kind of learning environment at Antioch, graduate programs and degree completion provided opportunities for students that they didn't otherwise have. So think about this as a three plus two. So doing uh, undergraduate and graduate programs in a year less time with a year less cost than they might have experienced uh, were we not partners and affiliates together. Um, in addition, uh, there are programs that we can bring to Ohio uh, uh, in the Columbus market that we do not currently have here, especially um, I think in the areas of psychology, counseling, therapies, very, um, very much in demand in that market, uh, but also education, business uh, in, the, in the graduate program, which will provide opportunities for those Otterbein students um, and expand our mission to a new geography. So geographical diversity will improve. Otterbein programs, uh, there are a number that are graduate level programs, especially in nursing. Um, uh, and we can take those programs to new markets where we're currently located in California, uh, Seattle, Washington, and in New England. Um, so uh, the synergy and the opportunity to expand what we currently do well um, and leverage those opportunities is an economic benefit, but also a benefit in terms of opportunities to our students. And that I think it's kind of the underlying basis of this system, which I think distinguishes it from some other systems that preceded us, where I believe, you know, the affiliates in those systems were more boats on their own bottom. They didn't really integrate or think about leveraging the academic programs from one institution to another. They operate pretty much the way they did, but under one business umbrella. And I think this is more of an academic leveraging effort than has been seen in higher ed in the past. Absolutely love the approach that, especially as you mentioned, that additive nature of making sure that each college or university is bringing what makes them unique to help support the growth of the system as opposed to just growing for scale and replication. Now, and, and what's happened since the announcement? I imagine that there's a ton of work you have to do in order to, to really start expanding or even to, to consider including additional institutions. A little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, higher ed is one of the most highly regulated industries in America, probably even more so than banking. Why? Well, because about 80% of our budgets come from direct federal loans to students to pay for their education. And those federal loans come with a lot of purse strings. So there's a whole area of law and regulatory uh, approvals needed. Uh, for any of these kinds of transactions. And of course, the accreditors and the Department of Education are looking at these transactions, and their key question is, how will you continue to live up to your obligation to students? Uh, we have current contractual obligations to students. Are you gonna be able to fulfill those? They have paid for it and started a degree. They need to be able to complete those degrees. And I think our story to those uh, creditors and regulators is not only will we, will we be able to live up to those obligations, we are expanding opportunities for our students beyond what they currently have. But it takes time to kind of convey that message. There's a whole process to do so. Um, we are both accredited by the Higher Learning Commission, one of five regional accreditors in the nation. They're no longer regional, by the way. The notion of 
having regions for those accreditors has gone by the wayside in the last couple of years and they can now accredit people throughout the country. But we are both HLC people and uh, we're working with HLC in the Chicago office um, to get through that regulatory and approval process. And that will take until probably um, June. Their June meeting is where we're scheduled to um, get final approval. And there's a theme here. There's lots of lawyers involved in this. So this is we come back to the beginning here with there's lots of lawyers on both sides making all this stuff happen. The other thing that I would just mention is we've been pleased so far that since our announcement, we have a number of schools that have reached out to us. I think we're up to 17 or 18, something like that, schools that have just sort of reached out. It's not that we're anywhere near agreement or anything like that, but they're just interested. Hey, what is this thing? How, how would a new school join? Uh, Bill and I were invited to speak at both the CIC President's Institute and the AACNU meeting. Both happened to be in San Francisco in January, and so we think as the word spreads, when everyone listens to this podcast, and frankly what we've done is we've sort of given these schools the information, met with them. We've developed a white paper and signed an NDA so we can share all the, the inside details of this. And then we've mostly said, okay, but we've got to get this transaction done between the two of us probably this summer. And then we'll start into a more official process and, and want to even be proactive about what kind of schools we're looking for and reach out to some schools and not just wait for schools to come to us. And so, but th- that level of interest is encouraging, but it's also in a lot to manage. It's a lot of meetings and a lot of presidents and a, a lot of follow up in those conversations, but it's all a good sign. Well, and I imagine, especially, it's not hard to find examples when we look around the world today and we're seeing the, the extreme polarization of our political parties and we're seeing a lot of the social justice challenges that we're facing as a, as a society and as a, as a world that I imagine that that message resonates with a lot of institutions, that idea that, you know what, maybe this is the time for something like this. And I think that's encouraging. I hope that's the case. Yeah. We have a great diverse landscape of American higher education and no one wants to give up their distinctiveness and their mission and their connection to their community. But they also, there's a want to, to make impact. There's a want to serve more people and lift more people up and, and change other communities. And so here's, like I say, that cake and eat it too thing where you can, you can still do what you've always done, but be part of this national thing we're trying to build, which is really about giving people those opportunities. Was it Kennedy that quoted that one line that said, a rising tide raises all boats? I can't wait to follow along with you both on this journey. It's just really an exciting endeavor. Now, one of the things that I love to do on the show is to ask guests if you might have a, a story or an experience from your own lives and careers that maybe helped you see something a little bit differently, something that might help our listeners do the same thing and, and give them a bit of the, the higher edge. You know, I landed at Antioch by accident. I, I never went to Antioch. I did not have a degree from here, but I've gotten a hell of an education from Antioch University. Um, maybe it was fate in some respects, and I've been asked, you know, where I get my social justice leanings. You know, I strongly believe that without democracy, there cannot be social justice, that they go hand in hand, and social justice means many things to different people. My personal experience in journey with social justice has to do with my status as an LGBTQ member. Of course, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. This was a very different time to be growing up gay especially with a twin brother who wasn't. I think that as I came to Antioch, I started to realize a lot of people who worked there were gay, and a lot of people who worked there fought for rights for gays at a time when that was not common. Um, I was watching 
this, the uh, debates in Congress as they were passing the Respect for Marriage Act a couple of weeks ago and saw um, U.S. Representative Vicki Hartzler make her speech, uh, the one that you've probably all seen on the news in which she implored her, her members to vote against this very misguided and dangerous legislation and broke down into tears. I was struck by her nephew who made a very impassioned speech in response to his aunt. That took a lot of courage at 24. She reminded me of Anita Bryant, and that's a figure that I grew up with. That is a figure I saw on television, and she kind of had the opportunity, because of her status as Miss America, to be a very vocal opponent to gay rights at a time when my parents still thought it was a disease. So we have, I think, uh, all our own story about what it means to be working for social justice. My story happens to be around the gay rights movement, which I have fought for, and I think will continue to need to fight for. It's never complete. It's like anti-Semitism comes back. The attacks on the LGBT community will come back. Democracy is always needing to be refreshed from one generation to another. I am hopeful that this next generation will do so. I'm proud to be part of an institution that is at the forefront of making that happen. Being so driven to become a part of the solution and not just to let the solutions be passed forward by others. Absolutely. Well, after that, Bill, I should have gone first. Who wants to follow that? You just need some patriotic music behind you, and we're all about it. I, I, I am struck with the power of education to transform lives and transform families and generations to come. And I think a lot about my own family in that. I mentioned before, my parents were both college professors. Their parents, my grandparents, none of them had a college degree. In fact, I had a grandfather that dropped out in eighth grade because it was, it was the Great Depression and someone had to go to work and he was the oldest of nine kids. And so spent his career in, in steel mills. Of those grandparents, none of whom had gone and gotten a bachelor's degree, they so firmly believed in the power of education for their children that that next generation, my parents' generation, every single one of them ended up getting a doctoral degree. Every single one of that next generation did. And you can see the trajectory of the family and the success then of my generation and hopefully my kids' generation, that that emphasis on the power of education, it was understood in my family from my grandmother who never went to college. You're going to college and when uh, she was in her 90s when I graduated. She made it to 99. And when I called her on graduation day, her reaction was, congratulations, where are you going to grad school? It was immediate to her. I, I mean, it was just this understood thing. And if we can give that opportunity to all those who maybe haven't had that support, who maybe haven't had those opportunities, who maybe for societal reasons, for financial reasons, for just the intimidation of the idea of going to college, if we can open that door just a little wider, we will change the trajectory of their lives, their families' lives, and the entire community around them if we can get this right. I, I think about my own mom, who I think I'd, I'd shared with you both, who was a, a doctor of education who worked at uh, UC Riverside as a director of development until she retired. And with all of us kids, it was the same sort of thing. I, I had left school and started working. And then it was always this, when are you going back? When are you going back? You know, you've got to go get your, your bachelor's degree. You've got, and then, you know, but having that as somebody who went through the educational process, as opposed to, you know, really inspirational to hear about somebody who really didn't do that and didn't have that opportunity, 
to really push that next generation to take that even further. Truly some exciting work, and thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Brandon. Can't wait to see your progress and the growth of your system. I'm sure it's going to be a huge amount of work, but so impactful and really, really needed. For our listeners, we've been talking with uh, John Comerford, president of Otterbein University, and Bill Groves, chancellor of Antioch University. Hey, guys, where can people go to learn more about your universities or even to follow the progress of the new system? Well, with Antioch, they can go to antioch.edu. Uh, that is our website. Um, if they'd like to communicate with me directly and have questions or comments, I can be reached at chancellor at antioch.edu. And for Otterbein, there's lots of information on our, our website, otterbein.edu. And then if you want to reach out to me, my email address is comerford, C-O-M-E-R-F-O-R-D, and the number one at otterbein.edu. Guys, thanks for coming on the show and being a guest with us here on The Higher Edge. For everyone else, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review if you loved the show, and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com.